Good morning, and welcome once again to Mind Matters, our series of rubric talks and lectures. I'm Carol Meng. Today, we will talk about the copyright ordinance in Hong Kong. The copyright amendment bill has twice failed to pass the legislature in 2011 and 2014, and last year. The Legislative Council approved the bill's final reading after it was again tabled by the government. Mr. John Yen, a barrister at law and the chairman of the Hong Kong Bar Association's Intellectual Property Committee, will walk us through the key amendments made to the copyright ordinance and some practical guidance under the Code of Practice for Online Service Providers (OSPs). He was invited by the University of Hong Kong to give a talk entitled. Recent amendments to the copyright ordinance. On the first of May of this year, the copyright amendment ordinance 2022 came into operation, introducing a number of important amendments to the existing copyright ordinance. The 2022 amendment ordinance was the culmination of a major review. Exercise to update Hong Kong's copyright law to strengthen copyright protection in the digital environment, which has started as long ago as in 2006. From 2006 to 2016, there have been three rounds of major consultations and two amendment bills introduced: the Copyright Amendment Bill 2011 and the Copyright Amendment Bill 2014. In January 2022, the government came back again. Um, and another major consultation was launched using the 2014 Amendment Bill as the basis, which has finally led to the passing of the 2022 Ordinance. The Amendment Ordinance introduced five key elements. Firstly, the introduction of a technology、uh, with a, of a technology-neutral communication right, the introduction of introduction of criminal sanctions against infringements. Relating to the new communication right, revision and expansion of the scope of copyright exceptions and fair dealing、uh, exceptions. The and then fourthly, the introduction of safe harbor provisions for online service providers, which I shall refer to as OSPs. And then、um, the introduction of two additional statutory factors for the court to consider when assessing whether to award additional damages. To copyright owners in civil claims for copyright infringement,、um, firstly, the introduction of the new communication right. The aim was to introduce a technology-neutral right for copyright owners to communicate their works to the public through any mode of electronic tr- transmission. So it's limited to electronic transmission, and this was done by the introduction of the new Section 28A. And subsection one of that introduces a new right called the right of communication of a work to the public.、Um, subsection two then makes it clear that the right is limited to making electronic communication of the work to the public, including the broadcasting of the work, the inclusion of the work in a cable program service, and the making available of the work to the public. Now, the specific acts provided for under Subsection two, in other words, broadcasting, inclusion of the work in the cable program service, the making available of the work to the public, as well as the definition of making available of the work to the public under subsection three, are, are not new,、uh, but have previously been provided for under the previous sections twenty six and twenty eight. 
which have now been repealed uh, in favor of the new Section 28A. And then continuing with um, sec- the new Section 28A, subsections 4 to 6 set out the provisions to define what the very general term communication of a work to the public means. And subsection 4 provides that a person is to be regarded as having communicated a work to the public if the person has determined the content of the communication. And then subsection 5 then explains that a person is not considered to have determined the content of a communication only because the person takes one or more steps for the purpose of gaining access to what is made available by someone else in the communication or receiving the electronic transmission of which the communication consists. Interestingly, um, and I don't think I've seen an example of this previously in legislation, uh, there is an example expressly set out in subsection 4, uh, subsection 5, uh, to illustrate what the language of the subsection is intended to mean. And you see that and it says a person does not determine the content of a communication in the form of a web page to the person only because the person clicks on a link to gain access to the web page. Uh, in the 2002 2022 Legislative Council brief, it was noted that in response to the public consultation relating to the 2014 bill, copyright owners had expressed the view that the provisions in the 2014 bill, which were in all material respects uh, the same as the present subsections 4 to 6, were too broad and would render the proposed amendments unable to effectively combat online infringing activities and had suggested that these should be deleted or amended. Um, in response to this, the government uh, expressed the view that the prov- proposed provisions have balanced and protected the interests of different stakeholders uh, as they aim to clarify that the mere provision of facilities for the carriage of signals by parties such as OSPs and the daily and reasonable online behavior of the general public would not be considered infringement of the new communication right. So it therefore appears that the example included in subsection 5 um, is intended to provide clarification regarding the daily and reasonable online behavior of the general public, as adverted to in the uh, 2022 Legislative Council brief. And while subsection 5 relates to the acts of members of the general public, subsection 6 deals with acts of parties, such as online service providers, um, and that provides that the mere provision of facilities by any person for enabling or facilitating the communication of a work to the public does not of itself constitute the fact of communicating the work to the public. Again, interestingly, there is a note added after the actual language of the provision uh, to explain that if facilities are primarily designed, produced, or adapted to enable or facilitate direct access to a work protected by copyright without the permission of the copyright owner, then the provision of such facilities is not a mere provision of facilities as provided for under uh, subsection 6. Again, I believe the uh, note uh, is an attempt by the government to provide clarifications um, relating to the provisions. Then with the introduction of the new communication right, provisions were added to provide for criminal liability for infringement of that new communication right. And this was done by the addition of three new subsections to the existing section 118, 
um, we see from subsection, the new subsection 8B, that criminal liability um, only arises if a copyright work is communicated to the public under two circumstances. Um, one, where it's done for the purpose of, or in the course of any trade or business that consists of communicating works to the public for profit or reward, or if it's not done um, for the purposes of, or in the, in the course of any trade or business, that consists of communication works to the public for profit or reward. Um, the communication is such as to, uh, is to such an extent as to prejudicially affect the corporate owner. Um, subsection 8C then provides that in determining whether a communication is made to such, a, such an extent as to affect prejudicially the corporate owner, a uh, court may take into account all circumstances of the case, in particular whether economic prejudice is caused for the corporate owner as a consequence of the communication, having regard to whether the communication amounts to a substitution for the work. And then subsection 8D provides for a defense if the person charged is able to prove that he did not know and had no reason to believe that he was infringing the corporate in the work. And what's important about this subsection is that the burden of proof for raising this defense is on the person charged. So it's not on the prosecution to prove that he did know, um, but if he wants to raise the defense, he has to prove that he didn't know. Um, then we move on to the revised and new copyright exceptions. And there are two types of these new exceptions. They are the new copyright exceptions for the education sector in communicating corporate works when giving instructions. Um, they are the new exceptions to facilitate libraries, archives, and, uh, and museums in their daily operations and in preserving valuable works. Um, and then there are there is a new exception to allow OSPs to cache data. And then there is a uh, new exception to allow media shifting of sound recordings for private and domestic use. Um, and then there are some new fair dealing exceptions. So dealing first with the education sector, well, even before the enactment of the 2022 amendment ordinance, the existing copyright ordinance had already contained a host of provisions in the existing uh, sections 41A to 45, providing for numerous corporate exceptions applicable to the education sector. I don't propose to delve into detail relating to the amendments introduced under the amendment ordinance, because apart from the addition of um, new subsections 1A to both the existing sections 44 and 45, they primarily consist of tweaking of the language of existing provisions to bring them in line with the language used in relation to the new communication right, but also to update the definition of dealing with. And insofar as the new subsection subsections 1A are concerned, um, both provide that the condition for exemption for liability, the conditions for exemption for liability are that the communication is for educational purposes of an educational establishment and that the establishment takes all reasonable steps to ensure that only authorized recipients receive the communication and that such authorized recipients do not make any copy or further transmission of the communication. So we see 1A of section 2044 on slide 10 and very similarly worded um, 1A to the new uh, new 1A to section 45. We can move on to the 
new exceptions for the uh, libraries, museums, and archives. Now, as in the case of the education sector, even before the enactment of the 2022 Amendment Ordinance that existed in the um, corporate ordinance, a host of provisions um, under sections 46 to 53, providing for numerous corporate exceptions, but those exceptions uh, applied only to libraries and archives. And the main amendment to these sections um, provided for the extension of the exceptions to museums and the addition of new sections 51A and 52. Um, the new sections pertain to very specific acts. So we see that section 51A exempts the communication of a copy of an item in the permanent collection of the library, museum, or archive. So it must be from the permanent collection. It can't be something which has been brought in by some, some other museum or some other library or archive um, to users or staff of the library, museum, or archive, provided that it's done by making it available online to be, ex to be accessed through the use of a computer terminal installed within the premises. So it's, it's pretty limited. And the next condition is also quite limiting, and only one user may access the copy at any one time, and then the library, uh, museum, or archive takes appropriate measures to prevent users from making further copies or communicating a copy to others. So so this exception is, is rather limited because it, it has to be made available online to be accessed through the use of a computer terminal, terminal and only one user may use, may have access to the copy at any one time. And then, uh, subsection three provides that the exception provided for in section 51A is not applicable where there are licenses under licensing schemes available, authorizing the communication in question and the person making the communication in question knew or ought to have been aware of that fact. And then moving on to the new section 52A, um, that provides that the playing or showing of any sound recording or film, again held in the permanent collection of the library, museum, or archive, is exempted from liability for infringement, provided that um, the showing or playing is to an audience consisting of members of the public. Again, it must be done within the premises of the library, museum, or archive. And then if the audience is required to pay, um, then the payment required is no more than a reasonable contribution towards the maintenance of the library, museum, or archive. As in the case of the exception provided for under section 51A, uh, the exception under 52A is not available if there are licenses under licensing schemes available and the uh, library, museum, or archive knew or ought to have been aware of that fact. listening to Mind Matters, where we just had Mr. John Yan from the Hong Kong Bar Association's Intellectual Property Committee telling us some key amendments to the Copyright Ordinance. He will continue to discuss the amendments with regards to OSPs and media use. Then moving on to caching of data by OSPs. Of course, this is in recognition of the need of OSPs to cache data, which is technically an infringement because it involves copying. A new exception has been introduced under the new uh, Section 65A, and to qualify under the exception, a host of conditions must be satisfied. 
Firstly, the making and storage of the copy of the work of the copy of the work must be by an OSP. The sole purpose of making and storage must be to enable more efficient transmission of the work by the OSP through a network. Thirdly, the making and storage must form an automatic and essential part of a technological process. That process neither modifies the work nor interferes with the lawful use of technology to obtain data on the use of the work. Fourthly, the storage must be temporary. Fifthly, um, the OSP must update the database in which the copy is stored in accordance with reasonable industry practice. Sixthly, the OSP must comply with conditions of any on access to the work. Um, and finally, the OSP must act promptly to remove the copy or disable access to the copy in the event that either of the following facts comes to the knowledge of the OSP. Um, either the work has been removed from the original source from which the copy was made or access to the work at the original source from which the copy was made has been disabled. Then we can move on to media shifting of sound recordings for private and domestic use. Um, even the plethora of devices which many private individuals now own and use to listen to sound recordings, I, I believe this new exception is eminently sensible and overdue. The, uh, again, the conditions which must be satisfied to qualify for exemption from liability um, for the making of a copy of a sound recording, which the section refers to as a private copy, are that the original copy of the sound recording from which the private copy is made is not an infringing copy. So you must make the copy from something which is not infringing. Uh, the private copy is made by the lawful owner of the original copy. Thirdly, the private copy is made solely for the private and domestic use by the owner of the original copy or by a member of the household in which the owner lives. And fourthly, uh, not more than one private copy of the original is made and stored in each device. And I'll come back to this word, this wording, each device, lawfully owned by the owner. Uh, and finally, the owner retains the ownership of both the original copy uh, and the private copy. Now, the condition relating to the number of copies, which can be made um, in the fourth condition, is interesting uh, because the reference to each device appears to permit to, to permit the owner of the original copy to make as many copies, as many private copies, um, as the number of devices he owns. If we read that in conjunction with uh, the third condition um, as to who may use the private copies, it appears that what what could happen is that the owner and member and members of his household can separately listen to different private copies at the same time using different devices owned by the owner. So, as I said, it, it, it's a welcome uh, exception. Um, and subsection 70, the section 76 subsection 2 provides for situations where the media shifting exception would not be available. Um, so section 76A2 provides that a private copy that but for subsection 1 would be an infringing copy is to be treated as an infringing copy if it is used otherwise than for the purpose mentioned in subsection 1B. And the purpose mentioned in subsection 1B is the private copy is made, uh, 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 solely for the private and domestic use by the owner uh, of the original copy or member of his household. Or the conditions mentioned in uh, subsection 1A, 1C or D is broken. Um, so that, that pertains to the, the devices owned by the owner and the ownership of the original copy and the private copy. So it appears that uh, there are some examples I can think of where um, the exemption would cease to be available. 
Uh, for example, if the private copy is no longer solely for the private and domestic use by the owner of the ori- of the original or, a, or by a member of his household, or where the private copy made by the owner is stored in a device not owned by him, or where the owner no longer owns either the original or private copy. So those are the situations where the exception would cease to apply. Um, then we move on to a more what was at, during the consultation stage, uh, more controversial, uh, fair dealing exceptions. Some of them are not controversial, but some of them were very controversial. The proposals to introduce the new fair dealing exceptions, as I said, had generated the most controversy, um, during the con- uh, consultation process because while as many corporate owners, well, while as many corporate users expressed the view that the scope of administered acts to be substantially widened to include an even wider range of common activities on the internet, corporate owners will find that the existing corporate regime with licensing as the centerpiece together with various statutory exceptions was already operating well to deal with these matters and causing no problems in practice in Hong Kong and elsewhere. And some had even called for the scope of the existing uh, corporate exceptions to be tightened. Having considered the opposing views, the government eventually came up with a package of amendments which consisted of firstly repealing existing sections 39 and um, 241, which had which had already provided for fair dealing for the purpose of criticism or review and reuse reporting, and by replacing them with reworded sections 39 and 241, which did three things. They continued to provide for the full dealing, uh, fair dealing for criticism or review, but uh, added new conditions for this um, exception. It introduced an entirely new exception for use of a quotation of a work, and then it extended a fair dealing for the purpose of reporting on current events to one for both reporting or commenting on current events. And then what uh, was also done was that new sections 39A and 241A were added to provide for completely new fair dealing exceptions for the purpose of parody, satire, caricature, and pastiche. And uh, we can turn to look at these new fair dealing exceptions in slightly greater detail. I've set out the uh, amended sections 39.1 and 241.1. And these continue to provide for fair dealing for criticism or review, but new conditions have been added. In the case of section 39.1, the new conditions are that the work has been released or communicated to the public and the dealing is accompanied by a sufficient acknowledgement. But the requirement of accompaniment by a sufficient acknowledgement is subject to an exception provided for under subsection 6, which says that, uh, which provides that it is not necessary to accompany the relevant dealing with a sufficient acknowledgement if it is not reasonably practical to do so. In the case of the new, uh, section 241.1, the new condition is only that the performance of fixation has been released or communicated to the public, but there is no requirement for the dealing to be accompanied by any sufficient acknowledgement. Then moving on to the use of quotation exception, which is a new exception, um, introduced under uh, sections 39.2 and 241.2. Section 39.2 provides that the condition for qualifying for this new exception are that the work has been released or communicated to the public. The use of the quotation is fair dealing with the work. The extent of the quotation is no more than is required by the specific purpose for which it is used. And the use of the quotation 
is accompanied by a sufficient acknowledgement that, again, this last condition is subject to further exception that if uh, it is not reasonably practical to do so, um, then there's no need for the use of a quotation to be accompanied by a sufficient acknowledgement. And section 241.2 similarly provides for the new exception, um, saying that there is no requirement, uh, and the six conditions are the same, saying that there uh, is no requirement for the use to be accompanied by sufficient acknowledgement. And then when it comes to fair dealing for the purpose of reporting or commenting on current events, or, or that the new section 39.3 and 241.3 does is to extend the existing provisions for fair dealing or reporting on current events to also cover commenting on current events. But in the case of section 39.3, it has the condition of the use being accompanied by a sufficient acknowledgement. Uh, again, that is subject to the exception under subsection 6 for situations where it is not reasonably practical to do so. And then the new sections 39A and 241A are the sections which introduce the entirely new exception for fair dealing for the purposes of parody, satire, caricature, or pastiche. Neither section sets out any condition to qualify for the exception, but they both um, set out the provisions relating to what the court must take into account in, term in determining whether the dealing is fair and factors which have now been introduced under sections 39.4, 39.82, 241.4, and 241.2, um, which sets out the relevant factors to um, that the court must take into account in determining whether any dealing with a work is fair. And so that provides that the court must take into account all circumstances of the case, but it also sets out certain particular matters which must be taken into account, these being the purpose and nature of the dealing, including whether the dealing is for a non-profit making purpose and whether the dealing um, is of commercial nature, the nature of the work or performance or fix for fixation, the amount and substantiality of the proportion dealt with in relation to the work or performance or fixation as a whole, and the effect of the dealing on the potential market for or the value of the work uh, or performance or fixation. So that deals with um, the new uh, copyright exceptions and uh, fair dealing exceptions. Now moving on to the new safe harbor regime um, for OSPs, the, that's been, that has resulted in the addition of a new Division 3A to the corporate ordinance, which is, uh, which contains a lot of uh, very detailed provisions. The government's stated purpose for introducing the safe harbor regime is to provide incentives for OSPs to cooperate with corporate owners um, in combating online privacy and to provide sufficient protection for their acts. The new provisions aim to um, limit OSPs' liability for copyright infringement on their service uh, platforms, which are caused by subscribers uh, to their platforms, provided that the OSPs meet certain prescribed conditions. These new safe harbor provisions are the result of, again, very many years of consultation and deliberation of corporate owners, users, and OSPs, which had started even before the 2011 Corporate Amendment Bill and have been continuing since then. Now, in those consultations and deliberations, again, uh, the stakeholders all expressed different views. Some corporate owners had expressed the view that the scope of the safe harbor was too broad and suggested that OSPs should take a more proactive role 
in combating online infringing activities. Conversely, some OSPs considered that the prescribed conditions specified in the uh, proposed safe harbor provisions would impose a significant burden on them. And then from the perspective of, of corporate owners, some had expressed concerns that the takedown mechanisms under the safe harbor regime may be abused, impacting on the freedom of expression. And in the 2022, the government stated that the proposed safe harbor provisions have already incorporated various safeguards to address the concerns of all different stakeholders, uh, which have been expressed throughout the many years of consultation and deliberation. And so what the government proposed was that the safe harbor mechanism should be established first, but it assured that um, the government would continue to engage the trade and take into account the views of different stakeholders in enhancing the code of practice and the operational details of the safe harbor regime. was Mr. John Yen from the Hong Kong Bar Association. I'm Carol Meng, and I invite you to join me next Sunday morning on Mind Matters.